Welcome to Ramblings with a Medical Historian. I'm your host, Nicole Curry, and this is the podcast where I ramble on about the history of medicine, such as fun facts, common misconceptions, and strange practices. I may even talk about other historical topics, such as local history. This is episode 3. Last week, we looked at the narratives surrounding the church's break from medicine. The prominent phrase, Ecclesia abhorret sanguinae, or the church abhors blood, is not true and first appeared in secondary sources, with no truth in the primary sources. The banning of medicine narrative is true. The church did attempt to ban medicine, as was seen in the First and Second Lateran Councils, as well as the Council of Tours. The sources quote the Fourth Lateran Council, which prohibits the higher order of clergy from practicing surgery. It seems the prohibition of surgery became entangled with the idea that the church abhors blood. Now, let's begin to look at the emergence of the barber surgeons. With the church banning medicine for specific clergy to keep them in their cloisters performing their priestly duties, a gap opened up and the barber surgeons emerged. Secondary sources say that the priests had their servants, who were often barbers, perform minor operations such as bleeding. And as I said in the last episode, I have not found any primary sources to dispute this narrative. The secondary sources also say that the priests or monks in the cloisters who always had to maintain their tonsures or the bald spot on top of their heads had barbers around with their sharp knives. The monks seized this opportunity and took these men who used and had knives in the art of surgery and medicine. The barbers were taught through apprenticeships. This was how barbers had always trained, through apprenticeships. So it was natural for them to continue to pass on this new knowledge on through their apprentices. However, gradually... Over time, the training became diluted as other new training and education was not really brought in. You could almost think of it as a game of telephone. The message keeps getting passed on from person to person. And although the message remains somewhat clear, things are still lost. Over time, you also see barber surgeons developing a fearsome reputation as butchers or charlatans. Now, barber surgeons were not the only thing to emerge out of the church's move away from medicine. If you remember in the last episode, I mentioned that the Second Lateran Council said that certain clergy were unable to study medicine. The universities where they studied then had a drop in students. Therefore, the universities began to allow laymen to study. 
These universities were mainly in Italy and France. England often sent their surgeons and physicians to mainland Europe to complete their education as English universities did not have a complete surgical or physician program. Now, to understand a little bit more about medieval universities, I will just go off what Wikipedia has to say. The medieval universities were designed for higher education, for the study of the arts and higher disciplines of theology, law, and medicine. The word universitas originally only applied to the scholastic guilds, which were corporations of students and masters within the stadium. And it was always modified as Universitas Magistrorum, Universitas Scholarium, or Universitas Magistrorum et Scholarium. Around the late 14th century, the word university began to appear by itself to exclusively mean a self-regulating community of teachers and scholars recognized and sanctioned by civil or ecclesiastical authority. This Western style of organization spread across the globe and eventually replaced other higher learning institutions and became the preeminent model for higher education everywhere. So originally medieval universities were kind of like their own scholastic guild. Only certain people would be allowed to go to the universities and study. So the university universities allowing laymen to study was really a big turn for the universities themselves as well as for medicine. And England, France, and Germany, surgery sank somewhat low due to the barbarous surgeons. As more university trained surgeons began to practice, they needed to distinguish themselves from the barbarous surgeons. They needed to do this as barber surgeons often had this fearsome reputation, as I said earlier, and they wanted to be distinguished as educated and well-trained surgeons. They began to refer to barber surgeons as men of the short robe versus surgeons of the long robe who practiced general surgery after being trained in schools. We still see this somewhat today. Medical students wear a short white coat and when they graduate and become doctors, they receive their long white coat. In Parisian universities, surgeons had to learn Latin, study philosophy and medicine, then take a two-year course in surgery before they graduated and assumed the long robe. It is said that in Italy, surgery never sank as low as in the other lands. This could have been due to the fact that the church and surgery separated here first as this was the home of the church. Surgeons had to study anatomy for at least one year before they could practice. Later, they had to pass an examination which permitted them to use the title of master. Barber surgeons, surgeons, and even physicians were still all part of the guild system. The physicians had to study for about four years 
in the university as opposed to the surgeon's two years. Physicians were more academic or diagnostic and did not often treat patients except if they were nobles or wealthy. Although physicians did not treat the patients, they recognized that surgeons were more skilled and educated, and they also recognized the need for regulation and legislation of the medical field. As the physicians were pushing for more of this, the barber surgeons and surgeons were fighting over who could perform what. I call it the War of the Guilds. Starting in the late 14th and early 15th century, many guilds whose services overlap began to fight for control. They would ratify their ordinances to list precisely what services they perform, and they also began to obtain charters, which was a legal document that outlined the conditions under which the guilds were organized and defined its rights and privileges. One reason that a secondary source gives for all these guilds obtaining new legislations during the period of the early 1400s was to regulate guild activity after the Peasants' Revolt. In the court of Husting in 1368, master surgeons were sworn in before the mayor and aldermen. In 1376, the Barbers of London ratified their ordinances to include the regulation of surgery along with Barbary. The Barbers Company confirmed their right to regulate surgery within their company in 1409. In 1410, their ordinances were ratified certifying their right to practice surgery. So this began to fuel the rivalry between the barber's company and surgeons who were too small to form the fellowship of surgeons. This war really began between them. The surgeons knew that they had the right to practice surgery because they were properly trained and educated and they knew that the barbers did not have the same training and same education. However, they were still being allowed to practice surgery and this really frustrated the surgeons as well as the physicians. The physicians continued to push and request that the courts have a licensing system set up whereby anyone who wanted to practice surgery would have to obtain a proper license to do so. It's sort of like how we have our system set up today where if you are a nurse or you are a doctor you have to go through all your school training but even after you graduate you have to apply to go through an extra exam to obtain an actual license to be able to practice. In 1415 grievances were issued and the mayor supported the barbers, ordaining that no barber practicing the art of surgery within the liberty of said city should presume in future to take 
under his care any sick person who is in peril of death or of maiming unless he should shoe the same person within three days so taking him under his care to the masters of the barbers so this is supporting the barber's right to practice surgery just further fueling this rivalry i haven't been able to find any primary sources to support this or dispute this as all of these sources are going to be mainly legislations and they would all be in small local archives in england and not digitized i really tried to find these for my thesis and was unable to find anything that I could freely obtain online. I would have to go into the archives and sift through them. They didn't even have anything listed. So unfortunately, I can't find out too much more about this very interesting topic. It just seemed that guild after guild was issuing ordinances on top of each other so that they could obtain the rights to practice. And this is really seen with the barbers and surgeons. The barbers would put forth their charters and ordinances saying that they were allowed to practice surgery. It was being supported by the law. The surgeons were always trying to fight this, saying that they were the only ones allowed to practice surgery or only specific surgeries the physicians kept trying to push for the licensing and finally they were able to achieve the licensing in about 1511 and then so the physicians obtained sort of overall control of who could practice medicine um, though they were still allowing the barbers to practice. The first attempt to regulate m- the practice of medicine and surgery came in 1421. The physicians were unsuccessful at that time. Two years later, a group of physicians and surgeons tried again. This time they were somewhat successful and it was referred to as the ordinance of 1423 it said that all who practice medicine surgery would be overseen by a commonality so starting to put more of a governing body over the practice of medicine however there was still a long ways to go These ordinances caused more of a power struggle, putting the surgeons above as the overseers of the work of the surgeons and the barber company. In 1462, the barber's company received a charter, so they were officially the barber's company who could practice surgery. So for pretty much all of the 1400s, the barber's company and the surgeons were 
fighting continuously for control of who could practice what. It was this big, huge, drawn-out legal battle going back and forth. So finally, in 1540, Henry VIII merged the Barbarous Company and the Fellowship of Surgeons to officially form the Barber Surgeons Company. And so this brings me all the way back to the beginning of my thesis of why I started this this act of 1540 confirming the barber surgeons company so it does seem that there was a barber surgeons company before 1540 but what this act did was it merged both that barber surgeons company and the fellowship of surgeons to form only one guild thus eliminating the legal battle between the barbers surgeons and the surgeons so this ends the first topic of how the barber surgeons began i might return later and go through the next stage of history of the barber surgeons company what it went through after 1540 but this is everything about the barber surgeons that i could find pre-1540 next week i will have a brand new topic for you it is a surprise so i hope you will be very excited and you will keep listening all the sources that i used i will list in the episode description if you would like to follow me on instagram or facebook at ramblings with a medical historian that information will also be listed in the description box and also i forgot to add last week i also do have a twitter at ramblings with a medical historian i just have to say I don't really know how to use Twitter yet, but if you want to follow me there, I repost a lot of medical history stuff. So if you would like to see that, you can follow me there. Otherwise, I will talk to you next time. Remember, keep rambling on.